Stacy was telling the story of sitting at the breakfast table in our third year of marriage and divorce coming up. And I, I need to actually paint that picture. We, we ate off of a card table. We didn't have two nickels to rub together in the early years. And, you know, there's the stress of that. And we lived in proximity to both our families at the time. And there was all the pressures in and around that. I was very busy. I was consumed with my work. And frankly, as as marriage turned out to be not as idyllic as I anticipated, I pulled more and more away from Stace, got more and more into work. She got lost in hers. And... We were living separate lives, and then that's when the conversation came up. Hey, maybe we ought to get a divorce. Friends, welcome back to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. This is John Eldridge with my wife, Stacy, um, continuing a conversation with Alan and Kelly Arnold. Uh, many of you know Alan on our team here. Alan Kelly married 20 years, Stace and I 34, <laughs> I said 33 again. And we just thought we just thought a conversation about marital conflict and some of our story with that, some of the things that have helped us along the way would be helpful to you. And so picking up with with the story of divorce coming up, you know, it, it had to get bad before it got better. Um, and and I think that's true in most people's stories. You know, it's it's um, pain is a is a pretty big motivator and until you just can't take it anymore the way it is, you often don't look to change things. And, and so that conversation came up, and that, that took us into some resources. That began our search for some help, um, you know, Amer- just going to a marriage conference, just listening to some categories. Hey, have you thought about X, Y, and Z? But also some counseling. Uh, we did some marriage counseling, which was nominally. Yeah, nominal. <laughs> nominally helpful, to be honest. Um, but but pretty quickly realized, oh, what we actually need is individual counseling. And I remember going and seeing a guy for the first time in my life. And and again, this is that this is that early epiphany of, oh my goodness, I have an internal world. I have fears and motives and wounds. I have repressed anger. I, I have been profoundly shaped by my past. And those things are they're playing themselves out in our marriage. And to be honest, I don't remember a whole lot of what that first experience of counseling, I, I don't remember a whole lot. God bless you, counselors. I'm sure you were very helpful. But but just that one thing of, John, like, take a look at what's compelling you into conflict. Take a look at what's compelling you to run away from conflict. Take a look at what's compelling you to just insist that you are right I'm right. You know, just yeah. take a look at these things because there are things that are fueling these emotions. There are things that are fueling this conflict. And oh my goodness, what what a helpful thing. Well, what you're naming is huge because <laughs> if you only want, which is all I wanted for a long time, external fixes. I want us to be happy. Yep. I want to come home and you be in a good mood. Yep. I don't want an argument. I want us to just enjoy each other, have fun. I used to tell Kelly that all the time. Let's just, all, all we need to do is have fun. Let's just make it fun. Why are we arguing? But it was all external. 
And as long as you go there, I think you never get internal healing. Like internal healing is not accidental and it doesn't just happen. And so what you're naming, John, that awareness and that ability and willingness to go there. And and I grew up in a home where if you went to a counselor, boy, you kept that secret because things were bad. You were really messed up and it was a shame. It was a source of shame. Uh-huh. It was mm-hmm. not something you'd ever even tell anybody and probably wouldn't even go because that was the last, you were at the edge of the cliff at that point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was in an alcoholic home. That was our culture. You do not talk about these things. And you certainly do not take this public, right? Family family things stay in the family. And and that just put an iron lid for me on on any kind of external conversation until I became a Christian, got married, got into some counseling and realized, wait a second, this is super helpful. Thing, things aren't going to fall apart if we talk about this stuff. And you realize everybody, like everybody is broken in dealing with stuff too. So it's not you're the, the freak and everybody else's life is perfect. Although in so many church settings, I remember an elder at the church when Kelly and I were married, we went to this, and this was like a 70-year-old man and always smiling, always happy. And he came into our couples class, Sunday school class, and he talked about how we haven't ever had an argument in our marriage. My wife and I, we've, we've, we've been married 50 years, and we've never had an argument. And when you find the right person, and so there was You're this uh-oh. illusion of, yeah, oh, no. That's, that's not, not very no, helpful. No. So what I'm hearing is that in, in order to begin is to start with yourself. That's what I'm hearing. And I'm looking forward to getting to what if the other person's really wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> That's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> but really that you have to start with yourself and that, um, that you're not alone. I think that was really big for me because mm. I would feel really alone. And I didn't know how to talk to John about things. And, and then to grow into, I am never alone. And I have an ally and an advocate who who is fighting for our marriage more than I ever could. Mm. So just like to begin with your internal reality, to look at your own life, to look at my life, to to um, and it took a while. Like I was like you, Helen. I have the perfect childhood. I had the perfect <laughs> family. It was Ozzy and Harriet personified. So I don't know what John's talking about. Well, that that took a little while before the veil came down and um. And, and that's then, partly why we would get into these arguments yeah. after going to a family function. As yeah. I, I kind of try and point out, so I'm like, whoa, do you see the dynamics going on here, right? The faking it and the, you know, I think there's alcoholism here. I think there's things going on. And Stacey would be like, no, that's, you know. Back I, away from the how family. How dare you? <laughs> Back away from the family. Yeah. So when, when for e- e- you guys did that? I have an internal world. It's shaping the way I relate to my spouse. When when did that begin to become helpful to you? What I remember is around year three or four, once the newness had worn off and we were fighting a lot and we weren't progressing, we nothing would be resolved. We were exhausted. I remember sitting in our front room on a really sunny morning and some advice that I had been given around probably the first year from my grandmother who had been married 
50 some odd years at that point, she said to me, honey, at some point you have to decide whether you want to be happy or you want to be right. And at the time it didn't, I didn't, I said, oh, okay, thank you. Internally, I was probably thinking, oh, I'll take both. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But three years in, when things were really hard, I think the Holy Spirit brought those words back to me. And it was about that choice, but I also remember it being a bigger question, which was something needs to be done. You need to choose differently. And I think it resonated so quickly because things were so hard. Mm-hmm. And I believe, guys, that the Holy Spirit just began to turn my senses toward conversations and people and, um, John, your books. And things began to resonate with me that I had an internal world and primarily brokenness and woundedness. Mm -hmm. And so it was the first awareness that I remember of, oh, maybe it is me. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's, maybe I need to look at me. Uh And it was huge. And I remember being so consumed in my thoughts with it as I would drive and I would uh, go around on my daily Ness. You know, I was pregnant with our first at the time. And I remember him just highlighting. Mm. And I consumed ransomed heart books and I um, other other information that was about the heart. And even the rev- the revelation that there are things in your heart. Yes. Yeah. And your heart is where all things dwell of your past. Mm. Huge. You got there way quicker than me. <laughs> like three years for you, I think I was in dog years because it took me seven <laughs> probably to catch up. And and it really, for me, John, like you were saying, your identity started to go more toward work. Well, as marriage wasn't great, my identity as a productive, workaholic, striving guy, I was having a lot of success at work. And so God disrupted the work world for me first. And there was this boss who one day pulled me aside and said, "Ellen, you've got a really big team and you know, you're really successful and everybody on the team thinks you're a jerk. Like they they're willing to work with you because of the success, but they don't enjoy your presence." Mm. And that rippled from that moment, that's kind of sucker punch that I needed to hear into a realization of, "Oh my gosh, and in my marriage, I'm even worse." Mm. Because at least at work there's a veneer of civility. Mm. But at home, I come home weary, and Kelly catches even more of the unfiltered brunt Mm -hmm. of this driven, have-to-win guy. And that was probably— Driven jerk. Yes. And language even— Just to be clear. (laughs) Thanks, John. Um, Yeah, it was. And so that was the point for me where it was like, I do not want to be this man. I don't know what it means to be the other kind of man— but I've got to look to God for that because I, I can't do it. I just I raised the white flag at that point internally and just said, God, Wonderful. you've got to transform me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be this kind of man. And that's when Kelly and I really started a new journey. Yeah. And he, here's here's why I wanted to highlight that for our listeners is 
so long as you're tinkering with the usual marriage tips and techniques, right? Remember her birthday, you know, say thank you when they do something kind, uh, offer to do the dishes. Right. You know, while you're tinkering with these externals, you are missing the iceberg, right? Like, yes, those things are important. Cordiality is important. Gratitude is important. You know, respecting their calendar is important. Talking about decision-making together is important. However, you know, the, the first epiphany is I have an internal world, right? And, and the second epiphany is it is far more important that I deal with the log in my own eye before I try and deal with the speck in yours, like this actually is about me, you know, and, um, and I, I need, I need some help there, God. I need to look at that and own that. Like that, that is a huge step towards marital health, because you're going below the waterline. You're not just tinkering with these little tips and techniques and little marital advice pieces, but you're actually beginning to deal with the man and the woman in the marriage, right? And and as we deal with our own sin and our own brokenness, oh my gosh, the fruit of that as it begins to play out in a marriage can be really good. And John, can I just add to that and say one of the biggest things that we had in those early years when that awareness was coming up is a common language, just words. Yep. And I think Walking with God was a big part of that, the book. Um, we could sit down, and for the first time, we could not only access those places, as clumsy as it was back then, but we we could understand. It was truly like learning French. It was like learning a new language, mm -hmm. but it was so helpful so quickly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You already know they're there. Yes, but to but have a language, to have some word. categories, really huge. Let me let me introduce another category that comes in. So I have an internal world; it's shaping me. Log in my own eye, speck in yours. And frankly, I just did not believe that in the early years of our marriage. It's like, no way, yours is the log. Right, I can see it so <laughs> mine is the speck. What are you talking about? You know, but but just even hearing the arrogance of that and going, oh my gosh, I. I such an arrogant young man. And, and then the introduction of the category of warfare was so enormously helpful. This is why we talk about it. This is why we bring it up. Um, not because we're like super enamored with it or we're a spiritual warfare ministry or whatever, but just want to say, folks, do you realize how helpful it was that the day that we, I remember the conversation. Yep. You do too? Uh-huh. We were at dinner. Uh-huh. And we had sent the kids, the kids had gone on, they'd eaten, and then they were, you know, three boys at that point, and young, and they're, you know, just want to go play. And so, the conversation went like this. I, I said, Stace, I feel like everything that, you, you know, that you're saying to me, I just can't please you. I feel like I just can't do anything right. And we were, we were beginning to be able to put words to things that, in a non-accusing way, here is what I'm feeling. Right. And and so without saying, hey, you're always blaming me, you know, I put it in language of I, I feel like I can't do things right. I feel like I'm just I'm just you're you're never pleased with me. Which just shocked me. It shocked me. So I was able you to You could have heard her jaw hit the floor. Yeah. 
Because? Because I said, I don't feel like that towards you at all, but I sure feel that from you. And you went on to put the exact same words to it. Exact same words. And then when you said that you didn't feel anything like that towards me at all, having you say you felt like that from me helped me believe that maybe you didn't feel that way about me. Yes, right. And suddenly it was like, wait a second, wait a second. (laughs) There's a third party in the room. Yes. Like, and, and we had heard some talks on, you know, you have an adversary and put on the armor of God and stuff. But it, man, this was huge for us to go, this accusation that we're mm-hmm. feeling, sometimes mm-hmm. it would just be a look on her face. Mm-hmm. It would just be enough to just tank me. You know, I would feel so accused, right? And, and for us to recognize, wait a second, there actually is an enemy and he is in our marriage big time. And, and at, the, at, at that moment, what we were able to identify was there is this accusation that's operating between us where we are both feeling accused, we're both feeling like we're blowing it kind of thing. Go, wait a second. Uh, and, and to begin to pray and go, okay, okay, it's not just my sin and brokenness, though those things are important. There's another category here. And Wow. Wow, was right. That was huge. I still remember we both stood up at the table and prayed out loud in the name of Jesus, commanding the spirit of accusation out of our marriage. And it was like uh, the windows got open and this fresh wind blew in. And, you know, it it wasn't the last time we had to pray that, but it was reviving. What I want to say is that that was 10 years into our marriage. Exactly. So we lived with that for 10 years. And for those that are listening, maybe you're 30 years in your marriage. Mm -hmm. Like, it is not too late. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When did did that epiphany hit you guys? Probably, that was probably 10 years into our marriage. And before that, I mean, we were fighting for our own rights. And then to shift and go, wait, there's actually a spiritual force opposed to our marriage? And a lot of the things we hear in our minds, the thoughts we're agreeing to are not our own. Uh-huh. Like, maybe this isn't the right person. Maybe she'll never change. Maybe, you know, whatever. This is as good as it's going to get. It's going to get. And so, wait, That's there's a big a- one. agreements, and the agreements are being formed by somebody who is actually trying to still kill and destroy our mm-hmm. marriage and not myself. And so then the shift to fighting for her heart, fighting for our marriage fighting, standing against the enemy, like that was huge. And that brought us together in a way we had never been brought together before. I heard you just say fighting for rather than fighting with. Yes. And that that was a huge shift. And it was clumsy at first. And at first we were asking God to do it. And, and then John and Stacy, through a lot of your teaching, we realized, wait, we're supposed to cling to God and then we're supposed to stand against the enemy. We're supposed to resist the enemy, tell him to flee. So it's not just us going, God, help, you know, like the mm. ship is sinking, do something. Mm. It's us rising up as husband and wife, but as sons and daughters of God saying, no, we're fighting for our marriage and we're holding to God, but we're resisting the enemy in all his ways. And that that was a huge shift because then that the conversation was not who's right, who's wrong. It's where's God in this? Wow. And if we know where God is in it, then it doesn't matter who had the vacation last year, 
who wants to spend money in which way. It's what is God leading us to do? Because once the enemy's gone and, and that clear air, the atmosphere uh-huh. shifts, then we could hear what God was saying. And it didn't matter. It oftentimes didn't align with what Kelly or I wanted. It was a whole new category. Mm. But we got to go there together. We did. We did. He used, I would say, that revelation to, for, for the first time, put us on the same side That's so of good. our marriage. That's really— it's Ten years in. Yeah, it's big, and it's awkward at first, and it's a little clumsy, like you said, but learning to stand together. My heart is for you. Your heart is for me. I don't know what the answer is yet, but let's get the enemy out of here. Let, let's, let's clear the room so that we can talk about these things, because while the warfare is present, it filters everything. It's like a plate of glass, and everything has got to pass through it. And when it, it's garbled when it comes through. You know, your spouse may be trying to say something very loving and kind to you, but if, if you know, anger's in the room or accusations in the room or betrayals in the room, you, you hear it through. Yes. And it comes through. You sure you know. feel it. You can yeah, feel it. You feel it. So that, that was a big, big turning point for us as well. And it's interesting that it was— 10 years in for both of us, you know, 10 years under that's a long time. And and I, I realize there are folks who are longer in that, but oh my, what a revelation. Well, and just a practical way that changed the atmosphere for me. Kelly is super helpful, tenderhearted, and yet there would be this one thing that would happen where it'd be Saturday morning and I was going to go run some errands. And so... Kelly would say, well, hey, of those three or four things you're doing, um, why don't you start at the grocery store and and then go get gas? And then – and she'd start kind of in, in kindness trying to help me prioritize and order, and I would get so ticked off. And it would be like, hey, like I don't need you to tell me how to do what to do. Just tell me what you need, and I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. I'll make the decisions. Mm-hmm. She would feel hurt, misunderstood. I would feel micromanaged. And it was a, a little bit into that where we realized, once we realized there was an enemy, and once we realized our own stories had brokenness in it, I was able to go with God into it and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. My mom used to always ah. control me mm. as a young boy. And when Kelly's trying to be helpful, I'm hearing my mom, who wasn't trying to do anything wrong, but in her brokenness, was very controlling. And so I still had scar tissue from that that God needed to heal. Well, now we can have those conversations and there is no, the enemy has no foothold because we've gone to God for healing. We recognize what he's trying to do. And so it's just a simple example of how nothing's changed other than our understanding of each other's hearts and that there's an enemy and that we can be healed. And then those same circumstances can come up and there's freedom. And there's so many examples like that for us where we had to get the warfare out of the way before healing, before even the language of restoration. I remember Neil Anderson came into our lives and reading his first couple of books, Victory Over the Darkness and The Bondage Breaker. And he's got a little prayer. He's got a little daily prayer. Um, which compared now to the Ransomed Heart Daily Prayers, it's a paragraph, but it was so helpful. 
it was a beginning for us. It was just that those first steps of, we are children of God, we resist you, you must leave. Like, no place in our in our home. It's just the early steps of learning to clear that out. Um, and then just because this is a podcast and, and, and it is instructive as well, you know, to, to grow in our understanding over the years and realize, wait a second, there's stuff that comes down to you through your generations, right? Um, when both of you do come from divorce, there's stuff that that opens the door to. When you both come from alcoholic homes, there's things that got introduced into your marriage you know, through the family line and, and learning to renounce those things and pray about those things. You know, we renounce, what is it, in, you know, listener in your family line? Like, we renounce adultery. We renounce betrayal. Uh, has rage been a huge part of the generational story? We renounce rage. We take our stand here. In this marriage, we're now drawing the line and beginning to kind of cut that off. And I would say, Oh my goodness, how huge was the category of soul ties for our marriage? You know, Stacy at the time wasn't aware of how deep the soul tie was with her mother. But every time she'd get off the phone, you know, she like a good daughter, she'd chat with her mom and catch up and on a regular basis. And but she'd get off the phone and she would just be taken out, discouraged and mostly quote, overwhelmed. You know, when we began to learn, hey, you know, there can be unhealthy ties between parent and child and adult children and their parents and learning to bring the cross, like. Oh, yeah, it's huge. And I, I remember the first time when John said that to me, that Stacey, you weren't overwhelmed when you got on the phone, but you're overwhelmed now. And I think this is your mother stuff. And I will tell you, my reaction wasn't, oh, how helpful, John. <laughs> <laughs> what a good thought. It was not. <laughs> it was Are defensive. You? Yeah. <laughs> Are you saying I'm not over? I have every reason to be overwhelmed. Have you seen my list? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, wait. Maybe it's a possibility. I will consider it. Okay, let's pray. And then, and then, crazy thing with the immediate. Result. Yes, the fruit of it. Okay, so we are driving away from a family gathering at my home, and 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 we've got the boys with us. It's a family visit, right? And and we're driving away, and Samuel, who's I don't know eight, yeah, eight years old, starts making some comments about Nana and Papa that were. Very right on, like out of the mouths of children, but out of me, like this defensiveness came up. And I literally was about to say to him, you will not talk about your grandparents like that. He was talking about, you know, grandma can be mean and grandma can be snarky and, you know. And grandma can never listen to this podcast. And grandma can never <laughs> listen to this podcast. And, um, but, but that defensiveness of family reared up. Yeah. Okay, this is a big category, gang. That defensiveness of your family reared up in both of us. But I, I had to admit, Samuel, you're right. No, you are naming real things. You're and and just the, the practice of beginning to pray Galatians 6, that through the cross of Christ I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. And, and the Greek there in in the world it means the entire human family. Okay. So the cross of Christ changes all relationships and is we would just learn to pray. We bring the cross of Christ between us and our 
our generations and between us and our parents and siblings and like, wow. Again, we're just peeling things off of the marriage. Oh my goodness, peeling things off your soul, this weight that I didn't know I had on me. Very helpful to clear the air so that you then, then can talk about the real things. You know, we're not saying that there's a legitimate you know, conflict or issue here that needs to be talked about. But as you get this other stuff off of it, the accusation, the the shame, what is it? That whatever the warfare is, and then the family stuff. No, we no, we bring the cross between us and and our family so that we can clear those things out. And then um I, I really like the phrase that Morgan um and Sherry use. They they've talked they talk about coming to the center. Like, I want to meet you in the center. So n- now that we've we've prayed, and just beginning by an affirmation of, I love you, mm-hmm. you love me, my heart toward you is good, mm-hmm. and I choose to believe your heart towards me is good. Like, I, you may be feeling all kinds of other things, but like, right. no, I'm for you, you're for me, let's come to the center— and, and beginning to put some words to things, help me understand. And this is where some of that more marriage technique stuff actually is helpful. Now that you're dealing with the bigger issues of the heart and the bigger issues of warfare, you know, then you can say, honey, say it again. Help me understand you. Here is what I hear you saying. Am I hearing you clearly? Right? Just to get the miscommunication out of the way. That's really good. And and to lose defensiveness. Mm. Because when you're listening to your spouse in that situation, your goal isn't as soon as you hear something to defend or correct or tell them why they're wrong. It's simply to let them be heard. And if you're if you're willing to do that and I think go there with God, mm. all kind of things can happen once they feel like they've been heard and you've really listened to their story. And you're not, see, this is what I had to repent of. You're not just hearing them so that you can win. Right, right. (laughs) Right? It's not just, I will hear you out so that I can lay down an even better case, right? Exactly. I I was listening to the Ann Sons podcast um, in which our sons, Sam and Blaine, doing a new podcast for young people in their 20s, and they were talking about their own new marriages and talking about loving their wives. And, and the phrase they used was learning to be advocates. Mm. I am your mm. advocate. Uh, I'm actually in this for you. And I just, oh, I loved that. I love that phrase and I love that perspective. Yes. Like if we could begin to shift for, I know we're in a hard place and I know I don't understand or agree with you right now, but I want to come to the center I want to be your advocate, and I want to be mutual advocates of our marriage. Like, wow, wow, the, That's huge. the way that that um, changed the, the, how we negotiated things. I'm going to pause at this point and say, okay, part two uh, of a series on marital conflict that you've been listening to with Alan and Kelly Arnold. Um, Stacy and John Eldridge here on the Ransomed Heart Podcast, and we're going to bring this in for a landing next week. Hope you'll join us. 